0: Soprano Danielle Denise is backstage at Lyric.
1: This story was written so many hundreds of years ago, yet the unifying themes of this piece are things that we can all relate to today. I mean, essentially, this piece is about people.
0: Thank you for downloading this episode of Backstage at Lyric. I'm Roger Pines of Lyric Opera Chicago. Danielle Denise is a remarkable Australian-born soprano who grew up in Los Angeles. She created a sensation in her Lyric Opera debut two seasons ago in one of her signature roles, Cleopatra, and Handel's Julius Caesar. She's making her eagerly awaited return to Lyric as Susanna in The Marriage of Figaro, which she sung at Netherlands Opera, and she also sang the role earlier this season at the Metropolitan Opera. I had the pleasure of speaking with her recently, and we talked in detail about the character of Susanna, which is one of her favorite roles. Before we get to the interview, here's a quick synopsis of The Marriage of Figaro. Susanna is the Countess's maid. Figaro is the Count's valet. The two servants are to be married, but they reckon without the Count's designs on Susanna. Aided by the Countess, who's distressed by the Count's interest in other women, Figaro and Susanna decide to teach the Count a lesson. Along the way, Figaro learns that he's no orphan but the son of Marcellina and Dr. Bartolo. Marcellina is actually Bartolo's housekeeper who had previously been desperate for Figaro to marry her. Also figuring prominently in the opera is the Count's page, Cherubino, desperately in love with Susanna, the Countess, and every other woman in the Count's castle. Now, on the interview with soprano Danielle Denise, I hope you enjoy it. I'm here with Danielle Denise, who is back with us at Lyric Opera of Chicago to sing Susanna and the Marriage of Figaro. Welcome back. Thank
1: you, Roger. Lovely to see you.
0: First of all, congratulations are in order because you got married a few weeks ago. I
1: did. I did. It's uh, it's all a whirlwind, isn't it? I
0: bet. Now, if you could sum up this character of Susanna with one particular quality, what do you think it would be and what makes that quality in her? so important.
1: It's very hard to sum up Susanna in one quality, Um, but I would say her innate goodness is the most crucial aspect of her personality. Um, And I guess the reason I would say that is because she's incredibly kind and caring of the Contessa, in light of the situation in which she finds herself, it's very uncomfortable for Susanna to know that the Conte is interested in making advances on her, um, delivering that information to to her superior, but also her friend, is, is an incredibly uncomfortable position to be in for somebody who is good and caring. And I think that that is... Um, what the crux of the story lies in that, in the fact that there is this problem. If Susanna wasn't a good person, she might have given herself to the Count, and we wouldn't have this the plot of the Notte di Figaro because she would be like any other maiden in the household who is going to the forest, you know, to the sotte pini, the hedges, where lots of hanky panky takes place. So, but it's because she doesn't want to, because she wants to marry Figaro and to do it the right way that we have this, this story. Um, and she's good with everybody. She's good with Cherubino. She's good with uh, Figaro, obviously. They have a wonderful relationship. It's, it's a, something that's set up in the first scene, I think, this, this caring between Susanna and Figaro.
0: I think the role is incredibly underestimated. I mean, what does it take to sing and act her?
1: It's one of the longest roles in The Soprano Rep. I know you know that. Um, And on one hand, it's really difficult. On the other hand, it's one of the easiest roles, not in terms of difficulty, but in terms of how to play Susanna. Everything is there in the words and the text, the the music...
0: if you're very real in everything you do, then yes, it just you just sort of have plays to itself. you have to
1: open your ears and you have to listen to everything, and everything has to come at you as if it was the very first time you ever heard it, because everything. Figaro is four hours long, but we forget this is all the events of just one single day, and sort of all the little ups and downs of what happens in in one day is it, it seems like. It's quite an adventure. But everybody has to be very quick-witted. And Susanna especially, because she is involved in almost everything that happens. Um, there's very little that happens that Susanna isn't aware of or part of. Even when the joke's on her, she's still there. She's in the action. She's in the thick of it. And um, it takes, I suppose, stamina would be obviously the, the, the most obvious thing. Um but I would say just being very much in the moment is a key thing to Susanna.
0: Well, also purely vocally, I mean, if you do the high C's in the trio, then she has a range of, what, more than two octaves that she has to cover. In yeah, the it's a,
1: it's a, it can be quite taxing, the role, in that Susanna is not only there to be sort of the bright, chirpy soprano, but she's also there um, in the ensembles being very, very supportive and the range of the role is quite low. Then you have all the recitatives, which are, um, you know, all in the middle of the voice. So, and, and where the Conte and the Contessa and Cherubino get to have their arias over with during the piece so the pacing they can pace up to those moments Susanna and Figaro have to wait until the very very end to have their big arias and then Susanna having been on stage for most of the time it's you know you have to save it and keep it very well paced so that when you get to the Vieni you're not out of breath you're not out of stamina, you're not out of energy, you have to keep that line. And um, it's a wonderful mm. challenge, though, because it's such a gorgeous piece.
0: Now, chemistry is very important between mm. you and really everybody else on the stage, but especially between you and your Figaro. I mean, you're doing this role with Kyle Kettleson, this yes. very experienced Figaro. So what do you most enjoy in your work together?
1: Kyle is a really fun, vivacious stage presence so um and he he as you said he's done Figaro very many times, I think I've done Figaro twice so um i I love the fact that Kyle you know has thought through everything and knows exactly what he's doing um it was just very easy to meet and work with Kyle from the beginning. We just sort of got on with it, and it just went everything that happened just came as it was we didn't have to sort of sit and have a conversation. You know, what What are Figaro and Susanna? Who, do, you know, how much do they love each other? You know, we just sort of play around with each other and we we sort of talk through things and go, okay, well, should we do this? Should we do that? Or what, what about if we do this? And, the, you know, we just... Find little nuances to bring to it based on our own personal chemistry working together. So that's really wonderful.
0: Now, music written before 1800 is very mm-hmm. much a part of your life. Yeah. And you're you're about to do Popeya of Monteverdi in yes, Madrid. Correct. And you have Handel Semele coming up in Paris. My first Semele, yes. Yeah. I'm very excited. Well, you're also going to tour with an original instrument orchestra, Giardino Armonico. Yes, I just did that tour in January.
1: Yeah. It's fantastic.
0: So the big question is what have you discovered? about yourself as an artist through music written before 1800 that maybe would not have been possible if you had been specializing from the beginning in 19th century repertoire Uh,
1: i think the greatest gift of performing early music is to have the freedom to create along with the form of baroque music um and that sounds kind of funny there's a dichotomy there but it's within the Baroque form, you have a much bearer skeleton than one would have in 19th century music. However, within that frame, there is room for interpretation. We have ornamentation. We have the da Capo arias. There's lots of times when uh, maybe when you're singing a role in, like, La Bohème, the music is there, the directions are there. Similarly, in, like, for example, Falstaff or something, you have everything in the material is there in the score. In Baroque music, it's a little less delineated. The directions, the line, orchestra parts are even variable based on the versions that have been performed in different places. So um, with that comes a responsibility, but also a, a personal authority that one has to put one stamp of a character into the music through the music because as you create ornaments you create the color that you want for your character and that being said you can do a role like I've done Cleopatra a couple of times now and I've actually rewritten ornaments for the same role in a completely different way to, to fit and match a different director's vision of the production and the staging. And that's, it's like doing a new role. So that's something that you have with early music that you don't have with modern music. Um, I think as music has progressed, it's become um, much more specific. Um, Whereas in early music, you have repeats and, you know, you have really a great great chance to personalize.
0: Now, the big question is, here you are doing Mozart. Mm. Do you have a certain freedom... To ornament here and there, not as much as you would at Handel, but do you do throw in certain things of your own devising into your vocal line?
1: One can throw in a few ornaments here and there, but it's with a great amount of discretion because of the fact that Mozart wrote so much and so well and so beautifully and there aren't da capi. You know, there, there's not the chance to return back to the same thing and sing it again in the way that there is with Baroque music. I just did a Mozart album with Sir Charles McCarris and when I was doing the album, I was very tentative about ornamentation because I felt... Like, I knew what I was doing with Handel, but with Mozart, I really wanted to tread carefully. So I left myself in his guidance completely. And he was wonderful. I mean, he, he of course, is one of the great interpreters of Mozart. So it's um, it was a great chance to learn from him how, when, and where. That's an
0: amazing opportunity. <laughs> yes.
1: And so yeah. when I've come here, like, there are some moments where you can add an anticipation or a little passing tone to add color to add a twist of intention into the line that's already there the other place that one has a real chance to paint in terms of color is in the recites. and there's Susanna sings so many restatives. so there's a real chance there to play and mold the Italian exactly the way you want to color it and you know much like when we all speak in day-to-day life you can say the same thing over and over again, and it never comes out the same way, and so one has a real chance to to experiment with that in Ressets.
0: Now, the last thing I wanted to ask you is, what would you like to tell our listeners about what makes Figaro such a great evening in the theater? In the opera house, I should oh, say.
1: Oh, listeners. Um, well, there are so many things. I think one of the greatest strengths of Marriage of Figaro is that it is a very personal tale. Um, this story was written so many hundreds of years ago, yet the the unifying themes of this piece are things that we can all relate to today. I mean, essentially, this piece is about people. It's about a lot of different people. Um, And there are characters which I think anybody who comes to the opera can really relate to. There's a lot of different themes about love, about new love, about the sort of springtime of love and the birth of love with Susanna and Figaro. And then you have the sort of the fading love of the Conte and the Contessa, which is like sort of, you know, a different phase and then you have like Bartolo and Marcellina who are sort of this very old and frozen way past love and then you have like the very very new young love like Barbarina Cherubino so there's so many different stories that you can see in this piece and it is essentially about the relationships between people and about all of the follies of one day so I would recommend this to even an opera goer who's never been before this is one of the most easy-on-the-ears piece that you can go to. Every melody, every aria is sublime. There's not a single note in Marriage of Figaro that anyone would change. And that is such a gift for me personally to perform this piece. We were all just in rehearsal and saying, how can you not have fun with Figaro? And that's really the truth of it. It is such a fun piece. It's riveting.
0: Well, I want to wish you all the luck
1: Thank you, Roger. With
0: all the performances of Marriage of Figaro, welcome, welcome back to Lyric. Thank
1: you. I'm so happy to be back.
0: You've been listening to Backstage at Lyric, the podcast that takes you behind the curtain at Lyric Opera of Chicago. For additional interactive content and to order tickets, visit us online at lyricopera.org.